listening to episode 24, chapter 3 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Chris Lambert. And I'm Josh Havens. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that He will help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. Dr. Charlie Self is one of our former professors at the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. His Ph.D. from the University of California, Santa Cruz, was in modern European history with a focus on Belgian Protestantism, studies in virtue ethics, and the Holocaust. Dr. Self is the author of three books, The Divine Dance, The Power of Faithful Focus, and his most recent work, Flourishing Churches and Communities, a Pentecostal primer on faith, work, and economics for spirit-empowered discipleship. Today, Dr. Self is the Director of City Development for the Made to Flourish Network, a community of pastors connecting faith and work. Charlie has the honor of resourcing current city leaders and helping create new networks across all denominations. He is also in demand as a strategic consultant, encourager to leaders, keynote speaker, and presenter to church and civic groups. And this is just a taste of all the work he's doing. Dr. Charlie Self is best at stimulating people of all perspectives to think deeply and act decisively. You're scrolling through your Facebook feed, and there it is. Your friend is on another political rant. You see a few problems with what they're saying, and you really just want to keep scrolling, but you just can't let it go. So what do you do? A lot of us probably take the bait, thinking, I can change their mind. But somehow, What we thought was going to be a civil discussion on an issue turns into a heated argument, and half of the responses get deleted altogether anyway. When we talk about human flourishing and helping people reach their God-given capacity, how do we actually do that when it seems most of the conversations cause more damage than anything else? In this chapter, Charlie walks us through some of the ways he engages with issues in the world around him. Chris and I can honestly point to Charlie as a great example of how we can engage others on social media and in the world around us, even with our opponents, and do it in a way that builds people up rather than tearing them down. This is where I wanted to talk to you about because, again, you're very active on social media and and in the political engagement and trying to engage these ideas, but you do it in a way that it almost makes you just want to kind of hug you sometimes. Like you'll say something and you'll be coming against somebody and you're sort of like, you know, like we all have those, uh, those interactions where like somebody says something to you and it sounds nice, but you kind of want to slap them in the face for that. It's sort of like, but like with you, it's, it's almost the opposite. It's not that it sounds mean. It's just that you can sometimes be saying something to like, let's say to my political, uh, Uh, arena or where I lean a little bit more, calling it out for something that's genuine and we we maybe have overlooked something or there's a deficiency there, and yet you do it in such a way that's very gracious. So what is your philosophy or your mindset when it comes to like writing these letters? Like you've been writing letters lately to political leaders on both sides of the aisle and you wrote one to uh, President Trump in fact, so like, because some, some people think you shouldn't be writing these letters at all, like to engage with somebody, quote unquote, the enemy is just to give them a platform and we ought to just sort of push them off to the side. So why do you engage and, and then what has led to the way that you engage? Well, first of all, um, just within the American context as a historian, the genius, the genius 
of our First Amendment is complete freedom of conscience and expression without fear. And it's being threatened um, these days. Um, I know what it's like to have a police escort on a college campus a few years ago. So, but put that aside, the genius of true toleration, which is living with civility with our deepest differences. That's the the vision. Now, I want everyone to come to Christ. I'm no, no embarrassment about that. But it's a voluntary family, you know. Uh, we're adopted by grace. So uh, with that in mind, uh, a few years ago, uh, the Holy Spirit really spoke to me about the difference between uh, reaction and response. I can't let some things go. I can't not respond to, to events or statements or ideas. But often if I will give sufficient time and not pen a reaction. Secondly, a critical mind is not a critical spirit. There, there is a difference. And I'll give you the most fundamental way of knowing the difference there. So let's say you said to me right now, uh, Dr. Self, you know what? Uh, I'm just so tired of all the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. And we, we just need with, with the, you know, with good spirituality, we just need socialism so badly. Well, I'm, I'm not going to say, hey, you're a jerk. What an idiot you are. What I'm going to say is, boy, I really understand why you would be frustrated given the sinfulness of the world we're in and the way people use systems. But can I take you around the world to three billion people who've come out of poverty in my lifetime, not from socialism? Can, I, can, I ta- can, I, can, we, can we have a discussion on socialism without personal insult? without without personal judgment and and the key thing about a critical mind is we're critiquing arguments ideas patterns of thinking we're not judging persons the third part of that which i've already mentioned so i have this respond don't react critical mind not critical spirit the third part of it is um a posture of always learning Because in a world that labels and libels, it shuts down debate. It shuts down learning. And that's really dangerous. Let's take take, uh, anthropogenic climate change. Are human beings or have human beings for a century or two? And are we currently contributing to a fundamental radical change? Not just in CO2 levels. That's minuscule. But are we a cause or a primary cause of what could be global catastrophic climate change. Now, for me to say anything but yes, for some people, makes me a denier, a word used of of the Holocaust, of all things. Okay? I teach environmental ethics. I've been teaching about Christian responsibility for creation care since the 80s when my students in Bible college said the rapture's coming, that stuff doesn't matter. So you can't say I don't care. And in fact, the same root word for economy or economia, God's stewardship, is the same root word we get the word ecology from as well. So to take care of God's world, should Christ tarry, means my grandkids have a better economy, right? So I think it's so important that we get at it in, in that spirit. The other thing I just do, I just don't do personal insults. 
Now, I have to confess to you, when I first read things, when I first see things, the reason the Bible talks about self-control and patience is because I have to exercise all of that. I mean, I mean, I have Christian cuss words in my head when I, when I read because I read transcripts of speeches or I'll look at things or I'll see different hearings or I'll see politicians doing what they do. And I'm, and I'm just and, and it's precisely at that moment that I, I, I have to go to the Lord and say, what's the response? The other little thing I'd like to add, and I want to give Lauren Cunningham, the founder of Youth with a Mission, credit for this idea. I've preached on it multiple times, but he's the genesis. And that is, I try to live in the opposite spirit of the principalities and powers that are attacking what is true and good and beautiful. So in a world full of selfishness, I try to be unselfish. In a world full of ambition, I try to make a way for others. In a, in a world in which the enemy is labeling and libeling and angry, I do everything I can. So I'll, I'll, be really, I'll, I'll be really vulnerable here. The LGBTQIA issues are serious issues. The fact of the matter is the DNA is not complicated for 99% of the cases. Uh, for another 3 to 4%, the, the, both the physi physiological and psychological issues are complicated. Um, the Bible's not complicated about moral behavior. However, one of the ways I'm now approaching this is when I meet anyone, I want to find out their name, find out their gifts, find out what they care about. If they want to make their current erotic passions the most important thing about them, that's their call because I see them as much more. I don't need to announce, the, announce to you that I'm white, male, and heterosexual. What I need to try to tell you is those things, those things are givens. It's what I do with them and do with everything else I've been given that makes me a, a person of character or not. You're really concerned with their the being, and I think that's often overlooked, too, when we're talking about any of these discussions of uh, yep. w whether it be the LGBT community or, yeah, any political thing. We forget that there's people. It's not even for, forget. I think sometimes we blatantly disregard it or have pushed it aside because it makes it easier for us to criticize if we don't think of our opponents as uh, as humans, right? And so we genu sure. like we we think that person doesn't actually want the good. That they're actually out with some sort of sinister purpose. Like I think of the abortion issue going on right now, and I mean. You know, I think abortion is a is a is a terrible, absolute terrible thing. It, it, it's terrible, but I know there are some people that are pro-choice that have genuine good natures that are trying to help protect women and and seek alternatives for them. And so, so so there's a there's always a spectrum, and so the the loudest pro-abortion voices of institutions dedicated to abortion, that's one category. Then there are loud folks that in, in some of their volume, they're covering up the fact that as the more the science reveals, the more we realize this is a human person. And then there's the folks you're describing, just people caught in a difficulty um, that, that need our help. And extremists aside, um, 
just to use that one, Peter Kreef, the Catholic philosopher, said that abortion is the issue of our day because it gets at two fundamental issues. One is life and one is choice. One is that the, the inherent value of a human life. The other is choice. And so what happens is we, we have this really interesting um, contradiction, paradox at the heart of it. Now, I, I want to be really sensitive to victims of abuse, rape, incest, uh, oppression, sex slavery, um, you know, my wife has taught art therapy to a lot of kids and, and especially women who are victims of this. So I want to be really sensitive here. Um, but if one chose without coercion to engage in intimacy, there are consequences. I was sitting in a coffee shop one day, and this kind of gives you a summary of a generation and why I want to move in the opposite spirit of that. I'm sitting in the coffee shop and he's reading a magazine I grew up with. So we started chatting, had some common friends. He, Princeton graduate, runs a software company, had $300 hair, you know, one of these expensive people, uh, really, but really, really engaging. And then this was about 10, this was 11 years ago. And then he just insulted um, some, a particular politician. Isn't so-and-so just an idiot? And I'm sitting there praying, I thank God, do I take the bait? What do I do here? So I just said, well, you know, I have friends who've worked with that person and really enjoy some of the good they brought to the world. And then he looked at me, he goes, you're not one of those pro-life fanatics, are you? And I said, well, would you like to know what I think or have you already labeled me? And I have a 60 second speech for what pro-life means from conception to coronation and, oh. and love for the vulnerable. By the time, and, and by the time I'm done, he's going, I've never heard that before. Well, here's the, but here's the punchline. So we're talking about stuff and I'm talking about civility and I'm talking about agreeing to disagree. You know, you religious people are so intolerant. I said, what, what am I being intolerant of? Well, you don't agree with my choices. And, and then, and then he brought the, the second punchline, which was, I have a right to sex without consequences. And I said, well, if you and the partner are consensual, you have the liberty to engage in that. But I'm going to guarantee you as an ethicist, there's nothing you do that does not have consequences. Yeah, I think physics has taught us that, right? Uh, right, right. <laughs> that and, was new, and then Newtonian. I, and I asked him, do, you, do I have the right to disagree with that choice? And he struggled. Yeah, but you're being religious. You're imposing your religion. I'm not imposing religion on you. I'm saying I think there are better choices. And you could watch this struggle because as long as there's a few million sincere Christians defending the biblical ethic, not only of sex, but of money, of anything else, as long as there's a few million of us, we will be the whipping post for people in rebellion who want to justify their deviation from what they know, Romans 1.18, what they know is part of nature— so what's happened today is the exceptions become the rule. We're living in the inversion where I'm now the oppressor, which I've always found amazing since early Christians were persecuted for having these moral views. So it's an interesting, it's a little bit longer monologue than you need, I know, but um, 
that's a little bit of how I try to, and it, it, it does, it honestly takes some patience and some prayer because there are moments you just want to let out a primal scream. But I have found if that primal scream goes public, you've lost the credibility and, and the platform under which you might persuade at the very least to a more tolerable society and with God's grace, maybe more to toward conversion. So you, you really challenged me with something where you said we're all, um, or you, I can't not respond. Do you, do you actually feel that it's a sort of a moral, we, we are all sort of required to respond to issues of injustice when we see them? Like, do we all should be putting our voices out there and, well, we can't take on we can't take on every cause personally. So, for example, um, one person's cause might be reforming education. Another person's cause might be homelessness. So we can't give full time, right, or or a good part of our time to every issue. What we can do is, when we become awakened, or the the term these days is woke, um, and I and I mean it sincerely, when we actually get woke on something. It's really our, our job to humbly say, wow, I am aware of this. I think we need to find wise ways to deal with it. And I'm going to look for smart and kind and thoughtful voices that will help me do it. Um, yeah. I, I don't think 90, 95% of folks listening to this and going about their life are waking up every day saying, how can I be an oppressor? How can I be a sexist? How can I be a racist? I think people have a whole cauldron inside of thoughts and feelings that don't really come to the surface until the pressure hits. And what we want to do in discipling people is see that inside transformed, that when the pressure hits, what comes to the surface is beauty and goodness and truth, even though it's wrestling with the realities of life as well. So I want to circle back around and, and hit another point that you just, or we were talking about when we were dealing with the whole abortion thing real quick, just because, um, it's the other area, like when we engage in these things, right? And engaging is hard. And so that's why I asked the question if we're required to engage. There's one Facebook group in particular that we're on and, and you're active on. I sort of have a lot of those Christian curse words going through my head. And, and sometimes I come to it and I, I honestly, I have to just walk away from it. I mean, it's a Christian, it's a Christian Facebook group, but sometimes the conversations there are such that I'm just like, it will do my soul more harm to engage than do anything else. So I just simply have to put it aside. That's a wise, that's a wise choice on your part. The question is, the, again, back to our disposition and our motive. St. Thomas Aquinas talked about every act has precursors, the act itself and the consequences of the act. And so, um, and again, I don't even think our first emotions are even sinful yet. Uh, when we first react to something, I mean, if I see an injustice or I hear of another or I, I, I hear something that's wrong, there's, I've not sinned to be upset or be angry. What's going to become either um, advocacy for truth and justice or sinful reaction, that comes next. What I do with that, you know, because we, we all have feelings. My goodness. Um, I just read a course evaluation of a course I just taught, and the, the, the evaluations were good, but there was a couple of things in there, and I'm going, what do you mean I wasn't perfect? You know, I'm joking, right? But the fact of the matter is, 
when I read through it a couple of times, I said, you know what, I really could have done a little more there and a little more there, and I, I'll choose a different book next time, and thank you. Now, my, my feelings aren't, oh, boy, this is fun, but I'm better. And, see, and that's the thing, that we, we shy away from these difficult discussions sometimes or engage in them too harshly, not recognizing the value that we're going to either give another person. Like we, we, Sometimes we just try to enter a dialogue by just trying to impose our point of view or perspective on somebody else rather than to try to serve by just simply giving them one, but also receiving. Like how many conversations do we go into thinking – what can this person teach me about mine? And to the, the abortion things, uh, particularly that's come out for the pro-life side of things, that I think has been a real positive is that we recognize that there's a difference between being anti-abortion and being pro-life. And it's generated a much larger discussion about what it means to be you know, pro-life. So uh, I think that like, in some of those aspects, it's extremely positive to be having these very difficult very uncomfortable conversations at times, but very necessary. And, and so, yeah, how, how do we bring the kingdom of God and that perspective into those and, and be able to learn from each other in, in grace, I think? And, and sometimes we have to separate our evaluation of character and personality from the, from the particular acts. So 20 years ago, Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton came close to balancing the federal budget for the first time in 30 years. And 4 million people got off of welfare Meanwhile, the, the scandals are going on and the different things are going on. But I'm going to commend both of those politicians. And by the way, they both had scandal, which is, you know, I'm going to commend both of those politicians for the actions of helping people. OK, I, I wrestle with all the tweeting going on in all quarters today. I should probably tweet more. I, I, re- I do it a couple once a week or so. But um but I, I think our, um, our concern to stand with the vulnerable and the unborn, um, I think that that concern of our current administration. Now, however hypocritical the past may have been, however much they might be exploiting, I, I'm not even going to judge. But, sta- but standing for those vulnerable, and by the way, just behind the scenes, we, we've had the first reform of mass incarceration in, in 30 years of people who actually hate each other getting around the table going, something's wrong here. Let's start changing these, these rules. So I think it's, you know, if a broken clock is right twice a day, then, then let's at least have the, the, the gravitas and maturity to say, okay, we can, we can do some, what I call proximate justice and prudential um, progress we, we can do that while we argue about all the other stuff as well. Each of us has a responsibility to respond to the people and culture around us. Not to every issue, mind you, but to those areas of life to which you have been called. But how we engage in discussion and culture shaping is just as important as the task itself. So it's not enough that you call out some injustice on social media. The way in which you speak or write or act is vital to the change you seek to make. So think critically about tough issues. Engage in theological discussions. Work to right the injustices around you. But don't allow yourself to become critical of others. I think Dr. Self demonstrated the kind of mind we should have when he said, 
It's not what I believe, but how I got there. So today, seek to understand the positions and perspectives of others. Because once you can empathize with them, you can begin serving their felt needs. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Charlie and his work, check out drcharlieself.com. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation, where Charlie talks about some of the ways we can bring about justice in a corrupt society. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.